everybody, it's AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast on AIPTcomics.com. And I am your co-host, David Brooke, and with me is Forrest Hollingsworth. Hello, I am Forrest with two R's, and unlike Thanos, I'm not inevitable. Um, you can ignore me if you want. Cool. That makes me sad and makes me think you're sweet. Oh. This is the show where we talk about all the latest comic news of the week. We talk about our favorite books from last week. And then we talk about the week ahead, as well as have fun segments where we do all these crazy things, basically honoring the history of comics and comics in general. We are comic fanatics. That is true. Can someone in post just put like a big explosion and... Uh... <laughs> someone <laughs> Sunday, 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 Sunday. <laughs> our unspoken PA. First up, we always talk about the news, the latest and greatest thing that everybody's talking about uh, in the comic book industry and community. And the biggest news, I think, uh, from last week is Comic-Con, sorry, not Comic-Con, we could get sued. Comic-Con's report that indicates the comic market is growing. Mm -hmm. Get out of here. So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about sales and we were like, geez, it's always like, oh, that month it was down. That month was down. Apparently not, folks. Apparently the numbers are up and they're only going higher. Specifically with graphic novel sales, but it looks to be as if the industry is in a pretty healthy place. We know comic stores are still closing, but it's that it might be more of a brick and mortar issue than a oh people aren't reading comics anymore issue. Right, rather than the medium, it's the delivery method. Correct. Yeah. Right. Very true. Uh, although with these statistics that have come out, it seems to suggest that digital downloads since 2014 have not really risen much at all, if mm-hmm. at all. And that's a little surprising because you'd think, you know, with Comixology and other formats like Kindle or whatever, uh, Marvel Unlimited, now DC Universe. I don't know if those numbers are added into that because that's like a big package deal but comiXology specifically you think it would slowly rise because more and more people would find out about it but apparently not sure yeah um i know that there was a small increase in the 2018 sales report for all three of the formats that they break out which is comics graphic novels and digital but digital had the smallest increase of them all so it is kind of maintaining that course that you're talking about right yeah graphic novels had the largest increase Right. Um, and it is now over $600 million for the year. Which, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, when you buy a single issue, you get 20 pages or so, maybe a little bit more than that. And it's just, it's like, sometimes it's only like the first 10 minutes of an hour long show. You want the whole thing, you get the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also um, indicative of the way that certain publishers are pitching stories or are tying things well into an introductory graphic novel. Image is really good at that. All of their first graphic novels are $10. Uh, yeah, that's a smart move so too, I think, yeah. Like, I think that's also easier for someone in a comic store or like your local comic book store manager or owner to pitch to mm-hmm. someone to be mm-hmm. like, well, this is like the whole first arc. And technically it's cheaper, right? Because if you cheaper. buy every issue, it's $4 an issue. I mean, that adds up. Yeah. I still remember I was talking, I interviewed Brian Michael Bendis last year and he was like, I was off the record at a point at this point, <laughs> not off the record, but we weren't really like doing the interview yet. He was like, Hey, do you guys review graphic novels? And I'm like, Oh, well we don't do DC. They don't send them, but Marvel does. And so we review those. And he started yelling at the PR guy that was on the call with us. And he was like, why aren't you sending AIPT graphic novels? <laughs> this is the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, that number has gone up. The the report here, which is available on ICV2 and Comicron.com, 
goes up. 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, a slight dip in 2017, but everything dipped in 2017. And then a very large growth in 2018. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's definitely the future of the industry, it seems. I've seen Jimmy Palmiotti on Twitter talk about how he thinks eventually it'll just be graphic novels. It won't be single issues. Mm, interesting. But that's his take. Yeah. And we did speak a little bit last week about the Eisner nominations and how a number of those limited series or the ones that are specifically, you know, maxi series or mini series and are often just collected and shipped in that manner mm-hmm. are the ones that people talk about at the end of the year. Right. Right. It's like the Oscars, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it's if it comes out at the right time. And you don't have to keep up with individual issues and you don't have to find out what book is going into a tie-in or being canceled or any other number of things. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if this article talked about it, but book channels, they say, are going up with sales, sure. right? Uh, does that include Amazon? If it does, that makes a lot of sense. I am not sure if it does. I know that the other category includes newsstands and crowdfunding like Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where Amazon fits in because it's obviously not a comic store. Right. Um, so I would assume that it fits into the book channels category. The uh, categories, just to right. zoom out here for a second, are comic stores with $510 million of the sales report, book channels with $465 mm-hmm. million, digital download with $100 million, and other channels with $20 million. For a total of $1.095 mm-hmm. billion of sales in 2018, I think that your assumption is probably right that Amazon, Barnes & Noble... Uh, half price books, whatever else would fall into book channels mm-hmm. um, rather than other channels, which I think that they're saying is like scholastic book fairs, um, newsstands, that kind of stuff. 1.09 yes. billion. So I just Googled it and Avengers Endgame has now made worldwide $2.18 billion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What industry would you rather be in? <laughs> um, but. At the same time, that's kind of a circuitous argument because these stories are feeding yeah, into the movies, right? And then... Yeah, I feel like Marvel has it going on right. with the... They basically have like a free workshop of storytelling yeah. to put into a and movie. And then um, the other the other thing is that one of the best-selling graphic novels of the last year was Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's just going in a circle for them. Yes. Time is a circle. Yeah. A flat disc. Yes. Some interesting news to follow this up. Over on Newsarama on Friday, their editor, Chris Arendt, wrote an article about how the major publisher, Baker & Taylor, is closing up shop, which is a major retail distribution business, which also distributes graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, And Diamond, one of the biggest distributors of comic books, uses Baker & Taylor. The biggest. Yeah. So... Now we just got stopped talking. We just got over talking about how graphic novels are selling like hotcakes and only selling even more. Now there's this vacuum, right? I guess this company's dropping out. So who's going to pick up the slack? Someone will have to. I think Diamond is going to have to grow their direct market. They can't rely on partners to do that for them. Right. And I think that also when you look at these two pieces of news together, yeah. The truth is that comic book stores and maybe less so publishers who are kind of doing their own thing and hoping that distributors like Diamond keep up with them, which is 
not the best channel of communication, but that's a separate argument. They're not doing a great job of keeping up with the other channels that people are buying comic books through. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. comic book stores are still stocking way too many floppies or yep. pamphlets or individual issues. Diamond is still shipping them en masse at the point where I would assume Baker and Taylor is operating at a loss. Right. And that's why they're pulling back. Could be. And then you have Comicron and ICV2 adding another category that says other channels. Right. Right. There's a whole other category of distribution and retail sales and stuff that they're they're saying comic book stores are not capturing. Right. Like there's a hypodermic version of comic books where you can inject Superman into your veins, I read. Oh. Yeah. True story. Not sarcastic. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of pans out. Obviously, the sales aren't going to slow. Supply and demand, baby. No. I I think we often don't think about how, obviously you and I do, but the, the community in general doesn't think about how it is one of the most popular mediums mm-hmm. in North America, if not the world at large. Right. Right. And the reports indicate that. However, the way that it is getting to people is changing drastically. Right. And it has maybe happened a little bit slower than books did. Mm-hmm. Like you had Borders Bookstore and a couple of other bookstores go under really quickly when Amazon got into the marketplace. But comic book stores have held on for a lot longer. I think also because they're attached to toys and games and a community and a place where you can go play Dungeons and Dragons and mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? Magic and I think that, that stuff is so, so, so important. And that's the reason that I love my LCS and the right. reason that I think you should go and support your LCS. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they, they need to step up a little bit and offer comics in the way that people want to buy them and read them. Of course, you know, this at, in the same breath, it came out that uh, Detective Comics number 1000 sold half a million copies in March. Yeah. yeah. And that was a $10 book. So that's $5 million. <laughs> yep. I did my math right, right? I yes. think so. Yeah. Okay. But, but the last issue to sell over a million copies for Marvel was five years years ago which one was it star wars number one. Oh, that's right i mean ryan stegman was saying that absolute carnage is going to sell that much yeah <laughs> they're hopeful yeah well it is uh sunday right now and if if you are a comic book fan you probably went to your lcs this weekend to get your uh your free comic book day comics yes in which absolute carnage was uh sort of started i guess the storyline was started in that book yeah prequel i could see it making a lot of money based on the big twist in that story I thought it fucking ruled. <laughs> we'll get to that like, in a little bit. I'll yeah. talk about it in the next section. Yeah. In our um, next bit of news, unless you want to keep going. No, I just want to say that I think yeah. the stories are really, really good. Yeah. Right? I read 30, 30 or more comics a week. Mm-hmm. But I also have a Comixology subscription. I go and I pick, my, pick up my poll list every week. I love my LCS owner. Um, shout out, Gus. But... Yeah, something's got to change. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I have a good enough top-down to view to say what it needs to be, but I think that every LCS owner needs to be looking at these reports and thinking about what it is that their individualized customer base or store or location or whatever can do to meet that demand. Buy more graphic novels, sell more graphic novels. And <laughs> and have a kid section. 
Sure. I think th- those are two big things. I saw that in the news recently. There's a, a kid-only comic shop. Yes, I saw that Did as well. That? There's yeah. a there's a comic shop that owns two retail locations, and one side of the store is an adult section, and the other side of the store is a children's section, rather than having just a shelf that is kids' books, which is usually like lower to the ground <laughs> yeah. in your LCS. Eh, not yeah, a great model. There's but, one like yeah. that in Boston. Uh, yeah, I actually had to like look. I just crouched to be able to see what was down there. Right, yeah. So. Something that won't be in the kids section is Batman Superman, which is coming back uh, at DC Comics. It's going to be head bu- headed by J- uh, Joshua Williamson and David Marquez. And I believe I wrote this in the news article I wrote for this on amptcomics.com. I believe it's been five years since this series came out, although it was called Superman Batman at the time. So maybe you, technically mm. it's not the same. But uh, this is an interesting new series that's coming out soon, in part because David Marquez is part of it. He used to be Marvel exclusive, and now he is DC exclusive. Yep. They've snatched up his quality, high, high quality artistic abilities for DC-only books. This book is particularly interesting because it mixes in with um, The Batman Who Laughs. Yes. The general gist of the story is, and this I'm just kind of throwing this out there, he has poisoned a bunch of heroes in Gotham and Batman and Superman need to find them before they become like demented evil villains. Is that right? Yes. I think that there are (laughs) six poisoned villains. Yes. Yes. With Marquez doing the pencils, it's going to look fabulous. And Williamson's done a fantastic job on flash. He's been doing that for a couple years now. So I'm pretty psyched for it. Yeah. I think the other big thing is how does this tie into heroes in crisis? Is it? I don't know that they have said whether or not it is, but I've seen a lot of people hopeful on Twitter that Wally was poisoned. Oh, interesting. That could be a way to fix, I'm using air quotes, (laughs) (laughs) Fix, yeah. what we talked about last week with Heroes in Crisis, and everyone was up in arms about that. User, read, retcon. Right. That would be a quick retcon, let me tell you. Yeah, but I think it would be a necessary one. Yeah, I think so. We'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I also think it might be interesting to see how much Williamson knew about Heroes in Crisis, given that this book is coming out and is so probably integral to Flash as much as it is Batman and Superman or kind of the larger Justice League as a whole, given that there are characters close to Batman and Supes that have been poisoned and stuff. Right. Um, I Obviously, that feels a little bit similar to Heroes in Crisis. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And he did write the, the that that little, uh, not little, but the four-part uh, tie-in to Heroes in Crisis. Yes. Yep. Which involved Flash and Batman. Yes. And I need to reread that now. If, if, if this is somehow tied to that, that'd be interesting. It seems to all be building to something bigger. Speaking of which, in 2020... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scott Snyder was talking to Newsarama and he talked about how Year of the Villain will end in a giant battle with many heroes involved. And it it just made me think of Avengers Endgame when when I was reading that. Yeah. I, I if you don't know, Year of the Villain is a 25 cent comic that came out a few days ago. It's the first part of this new push that is going to affect all the books, I believe. It yep. And in it, Lex Luthor is basically, he's the big bad in a sense, although he's using this Perpetua character. And I don't want to, should I spoil it? Did you read it? I did read it. 
Is Lex Luthor going to be Superman? Yeah, do whatever you want. So yeah, he kills himself in the first few pages. And then in the end, we see that Perpetua is uh, rebuilding him in this tank. I guess she's rebuilding him or she birthed him, rebirthed him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know. I I have a feeling he'll be super powered in some way. It's getting weird out the gate, y'all. Yeah, maybe he'll be the but new anti But it's also the kind of, like, comic kookiness and weirdness that you need right. for an event called Year of the Villain. Yeah, for um, sure. And coming out the gate with marketing that's like, this is going to end in a giant battle where mm-hmm. consequences are going to matter, people are going to die, we're doing it all the way through the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. you got to do something crazy out the gate. And I felt like that was it. For sure. You know, I was like, oh, shit, whoa. Yeah, it was a it so, was a good book. It, it gets you pumped up. Yeah, technically, yeah, yeah. it's their like free comic book day book, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. and they've been doing that for two or three years now. Mm-hmm. Slapping twenty five cents on the cover and putting that out on the regular new new comic book day. Yep. Yeah, when I spoke to Scott Snyder on the podcast a few weeks ago, he said that this was going to end sometime in the spring. But you know, these things can stretch out as new as creators get new ideas. Obviously, I think DC is very happy with the direction that this stuff is going in. Mm-hmm. You have Batman and Superman coming out. Batman Who Laughs was just extended for another issue. Yep. Um, it all seems to be building towards whatever the finale for this is. Right. And I'm very excited about the fact that I couldn't even possibly imagine what it is. Feels like the first time in a long time that I have no idea where an event is going. True. Yeah. Because that that twist in with Lex dying really threw me. Yeah, they're not really laying out the cards quite yet. Like, Perpetua's sort of been sitting around at the Legion of Doom's headquarters, uh, not really... They haven't really let us know what she's up to or what her real plans are. Mm -hmm. And I think Scott Snyder said on the podcast as well that this is sort of the end to the larger story that started in in, uh, Dark Knight Metal. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all connected. Kind of Katamari Damacy rolling into one big ball of stuff. So right, yeah. right, right, right. Shout out to Scott Snyder who just had another baby. <laughs> whoop yes. whoop. Pink Batman uh, pink, Junior Junior. Uh, Forrest is uh, is putting the pink booties in a pot box right now. He's gonna mail it to you. Yes. So let's just send it to Scott Snyder, New York. Just just it'll get that. there. <laughs> yeah, with it with a baby. <laughs> uh, yes. Someone who's not having a baby is. Uh, <laughs> I like that's how that's how every segue should go. <laughs> Someone who's not having a baby is Sean Gordon Murphy, who revealed that the the new uh, D- dark uh, what is it DC Black Label his new yes. series Batman Curse of the White Knight, mm-hmm. a sequel to Batman White Knight. Yes, yep. will be getting eight bit episodes. These like little commercials. Yeah, I think they seem pretty cool. Yeah, um, I don't know who's creating them. I don't know if Murphy himself is making them up or if someone in DC's team is making them, mm-hmm. but they're pretty cool. I think they're just going to go out on social media and they're little eight bit animated things that kind of are teasers for each individual issue. Yep. Um, Azrael is a big part of this story. Obviously Joker is going to be obviously Batman is going to be. So even seeing those characters rendered in an eight bit style is kind of like cool and nostalgic and like arcade gamey, especially the music where it's like, yeah, very right? kind of tinny and one tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy, um, the guy animating them is named Chris Fequeri. Mm, Probably butchering it, his name. I knew it wasn't Murphy, but I couldn't recall. Thank you. I know JoeBlow.com. They would they they have always posted these 
trailers, 8-bit trailers, just taking a trailer and then turning it into an 8-bit version. It reminds me of that, which is it's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I and obviously fans make like mock-ups of what Stranger Things would look like as an 8-bit fighting game mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff and I I have never seen something more popular than that on like Reddit or Twitter or even Facebook sometimes like IGN posts that stuff and it's so so popular. Yeah. So this makes a ton of sense to me. Classic characters rendered in that style and also publishers haven't done a great job of advertising comics through video. Mhm. That's true. I know that they try to do trailers and stuff on Instagram but it's just kind of like the page is flipping or they like zoom in on some of the art with sound effects. Right. Or they do like layering yeah, and that's not great for me. I I would rather just see the artist. Um, some artists do is an app called Procreate where it shows them like doing the whole process of drawing and inking and coloring and stuff. Yeah, that's great. I would actually rather just see an artist doing the cover or something, and yeah. I would be hype. But yeah, those the, are always like, really cool. The weird like edited zooming around pages and stuff doesn't really work for me. I think that this will work a lot better. There's one I uh, I just reviewed a book that's coming out this week um it's from dc zoom right mm-hmm. no sorry dc inc their young adult line uh it's called under the moon a catwoman tale and there's a trailer for it yeah <laughs> what's really cool about the trailer for this one not to not to say you're wrong but and you're not but no that's fine it's fully narrated by uh, an actress who's see pre- that's cool pretending to yeah. be selena kyle and uh yeah, it just adds so much life to it, especially yeah. since I, I only saw the trailer after I read the book. So it was like, oh, that's kind of neat. But yeah, that adds another element, just like these 8-bit things are kind of adding a different element. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the I, pictures moving around on page, uh, on I screen. I think you just got to have a hook. For sure. Whether it's narration or whether it's this nostalgia thing, whatever it is, is immediately more interesting and utilizes the medium that you're trying to show something in better. Right. Like, recreating the act of flipping through a comic book mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. Yeah, that's why those but, Infinity Comics, they were, they had a couple of yeah. neat ideas, but it's right. it's more of like a, I don't know, yeah, gimmick. Yeah, narration or this stuff, way cooler, IMO. Speaking of a hook, uh, X-Men Monday is still raging on yeah. <laughs> at AIPTComics.com. I don't know why I, like, Hulk hogan that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby! Uh, last week was the 10th edition, and we I did a little cool graphic with fireworks on the feature image. I don't know if you noticed, uh, to celebrate. <laughs> but uh, we're, that uh, column is actually changing things up a little bit starting this week, where it's not going to be just about the books coming out right now, but have a certain theme. And I just wanted to shout out to Chris, who had decided to do um, mutant or X-Men relationships for this edition. Yes. And... Yep. Not for nothing, Jordan White, uh, and, and this, is something, this is something that Chris actually talked about earlier today on Twitter, but Jordan White answers the question, Scott and Jean or Scott and Emma? Mm. All right. Everyone, get ready Whoa. to rumble. <laughs> there will be at least a few people upset about that answer, I'm sure. Oh, there's going to be a ton of people upset either way. Yeah. But personally, I think Scott should just, you know, he, everybody. Why not anybody? Yeah, Scott no, and Jubilee. Awesome. I'm very excited for that. I didn't Scott know. I didn't and... know. That's. I'm really excited. What's the craziest ship I can think of? Scott and Jubilee is pretty crazy. Scott and Dupe. Hey, does Jubilee still have a baby? Yes. She's not a vampire anymore, though, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I think she, she still has a baby. She got cured. 
Yeah, she still had the baby in the um, winter special that they did. Ah, yeah, Jubilee's not really in the books right now, is she? Yeah, not really. Is she in Age of X-Men? She is. Do I know anything about comic books? (laughs) Yeah, you're making me question, uh, maybe we're in Age of X-Men. Could be. Yeah. Okay. So in our next segment. about people not having babies. Oh, yeah. Wow, babies have just permeated the show. They're very strong. I like that sentence. I don't think I've ever heard that sentence yeah. before. <laughs> I, was, I was really thrown by it. And my response was like, babies are very strong. <laughs> Baby strength. So our next segment is top books of last week, where we talk about our our two favorite books that came out last week. And to start this segment, we always talk about comicbookroundup.com, the number one critic pick and the number one fan pick. And I say number one, meaning the highest rated Based With on three or more reviews. Exactly. And the critic pick is a bit of a shocker. Yes. Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor, number seven. I'm shocked because uh, we've had a few reviewers over the years review these Doctor Who books. And they're even the, these are super Doctor Who fans. And even they are like, eh, it's pretty good. But now I'm like, oh, man, it gets a 9.7. Maybe I should check that out. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Not particularly. Mm-hmm. But I'm no problem with it either. Yeah. Um. The thing that was interesting to me is like number sevens through like number tens. Mm. They don't really tend to get very high scores. That's true. And they don't really tend to get a lot of reviews. True. This one had well. a decent number of critic reviews, and it also had a decent number of user polls. So on ComicBookGroundup.com, users will go in and say how many of them have it on their poll list. Mm-hmm. And it had a decent number. So I was surprised um, and also happy that people are picking up franchise comics because it means that creators are really putting a considered, thoughtful effort into creating worthwhile franchise comics. Yeah, it's an easy sort of thing to sort of chip in a story that is familiar but not necessarily fresh. Right. Um, And obviously seeing a high review for this for kind of a middle-of-the-road issue in terms of release – Unusual for a numbered issue, number seven, and also unusual for franchise comics. So cool. For sure. Yeah. What was the fan highest rated comic? The fan highest rated comic was Paper Girls number 28 with Hmm. a 9.2. Hmm. Now, this is interesting to me because Brian K. Vaughn was not nominated (laughs) for as a writer for the Eisners. Right. Um, which we talked about. That's one thing that we called out in last week's episode where we broke down the Eisner nominations. Yep. Um, Paper Girls is always, always, always highly rated. Yep. And not by a small number of people. I mean, this, he, yeah. this had over 300 polls. Wow. I think, I think it had over five reviews. Um, less users go in and put in the reviews. But I'm also looking at the number of polls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a small number of people going on to a comic book roundup and making an account and saying it's on their pull list, right? Right. Because oftentimes when I'm thinking about these reviews and creating accounts and stuff like that, it's a horns or halo effect where they really like something or they really hate something. Right. And what we're talking about here is the people that really like something, the halo effect. And Paper Girls is number 28 and people are still loving it that much. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And I mean, they also have Cliff Chiang and Matt Wilson doing the art. 
mm-hmm. who we both we know are freaking some of the greatest artists out there. Yes, and I believe Cliff was nominated for an Eisner. Was it for Paper Girls? Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. People like the I'm, art, not I the story. I may be wrong about that, but I'm like 90% sure. I believe everything you say. Okay, cool. Which includes your second pick. I believe it is the second best book out there until it's my turn to, to talk. <laughs> <laughs> what is your second favorite if book then, from last because. week? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my second favorite book of last week is Deceased, number one, written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Hairseen. Um, I'm not going to lie. This is DC Zombies. Marvel Zombies? Um, yeah. It's DC doing Marvel Zombies. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago when this show, this show, this book was announced and solicited. We were like, okay, it's going to be DC Zombies, right? Right. And it is. But it's really well done. It's surprisingly well done. Um, I think it's got a little bit less of the what ifness that Marvel Zombies had. Marvel Zombies like really immediately leaned into like, what if Thor was fighting off a crazy horde of zombies and then Deadpool was there and also Ghost Rider. <laughs> right. And it's, it's just kind of like a dream scenario for people, right? And the whole earth is destroyed too. <laughs> right. Great place to start. This is a much slower burn and it's much more considered i've been using that word a lot but i mean it um tom taylor has grounded the whole story with a really good narration um there's a really good explanation for the virus and the way things are spreading it feels very 2019 i don't want to spoil it but the way that the virus is spreading is poignant it feels uh Maybe a little shamey, but I liked it. Um, it reminded me of the stuff that he was touching on in X-Men Red. And then also the humor is still there in a great um, kind of subdued manner. Like Cyborg is throwing shade at the creator of the virus, who I don't even want to spoil. Um, but he's he's like, oh, yeah, cool. Um, you can take my arm off if you want. It's all good, man. Do whatever you want. I'm a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of stuff. Like, I really like it, you know. Because they're heroes, and you want to see them do heroic stuff. And then partway through the book, it takes a turn. And Harrison's art takes a turn, too, and it gets really dark. And all of the Robins are rendered as these, like, really horrific, slack-jawed, bloody mouth and nose zombies. And Cyborg is all fucked up. And, like, everything is turning into complete and absolute pandemonium and chaos. Mm-hmm. And everything is suddenly a lot less funny. <laughs> Unless and, you like that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But but Taylor did a really good job of, like, sucking the humor out of the room. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah, they're heroes. They're the Justice League. Nothing bad ever happens to them. Unless. and They look at too many memes. <laughs> the, uh, the tension with which it's done... And the combination of Taylor's surprisingly thoughtful, morose, poetic writing yeah. with Harrison's art, I really liked it a lot. Especially for a book that is basically what if zombies in DC. Right. You know? To me, it's like, I can't believe they haven't done this yet. So yeah. it was inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I, I wonder if Tom Taylor and James Tinian have talked at all about some of the books, this book and a book that James Tinian did back in 2014 called Mimetic, 
Mimetic, yeah. Have you read that one? I have. I really liked it at the time. I think it. I really liked Mimetic as well, yeah. I, when I was reading Deceased this week, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it is similar. Because there's a sloth yeah. meme that everyone loves. Yeah. And then after 12 hours, they become raging. Not zombies, but they become screaming, violent psychopaths. Yeah. I don't know. It was similar in a sense. So I was just, I just love to know if they like had a conversation about it. They might have. Only yeah. true comic nerds will make that connection like we just did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, w- I would recommend checking it out. It's, it's pretty cool, the covers too, with the horror theme. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. It all, it's also a really low barrier to entry. You don't have to know anything about yes. the DC universe to read this. It's like, an Elseworlds you, tale. It's no canon required. If you recognize the characters or right. even some of them, you can read it. Super who? What's his name? Yeah. Never heard of him. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump in here and talk about my third favorite pick, Break the Rules. What? Yeah. Spider-Man number one, the free comic book day comic that you all got yesterday. Right, folks? Yeah, dog. Uh, written by Donny Cates, Tom Taylor, Sala- Saladin Ahmed. Thank you. And uh, Ryan Stegman did the, did the art with, along with Corey Smith. And mm. I gave this a 10 out of 10. I reviewed it yesterday uh, on amptcomics.com. I believe, would you give it a 10? Yes. Uh, it's basically two stories. The first is the kickoff to Absolute Carnage, which is going to be uh, in full force in August. Uh, quite a while away from now, actually. I'm kind of surprised they did it. Uh, did that story in this free comic book day comic because people are going to be dying for it now. And then the second story is about Miles and Peter trying to find their favorite pizza place. <laughs> or not yep. try to find it, try to share each other's favorite pizza. Yep. But yeah. Well, th- they're competing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and Shocker is there too. And he's Shocker, got a take yeah. also. I love his take, yeah. And they're like, I love how quickly they kind of threw him to the side. <laughs> Peter is like, he got punched in the head a lot. Yeah. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good dialogue. Yeah. This is another project where I wonder, like, how much did Tom do? How much did Saladin do? Like, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it must be tricky to write something together, especially because I believe Tom's in Australia. It's not like yeah. they're like, they can't like go have a meeting. Yeah, I would imagine they had a shared doc or something. Yeah, that could be. Anywho, it's free, folks. You have to read that. You do. Um, I put out a quick Twitter review right after I read it, and I said, the stories that Tom Taylor, Saladin Ahmed, Donnie Cates, and Ryan Stegman are telling in the expanded Spider-Verse are some of the best, most earnest, and exciting I've ever read, and I can't wait for more. Absolute carnage especially cannot come soon enough. After the show, we have to talk about the big twist in that, by the way. Yeah. I'm not spoiling it here because it's such a big twist. No, no, it's really good. And also, I would imagine your LCS... Probably still has a couple copies of this if you want to go pick it up. Yeah. And they probably will have some next week. But yep. I say rush over. Make sure you buy something when you go as well. Yes. That's, please do. That's I part picked of it. Up, I picked up the first or the collected volume of the Court of Owls saga. Nice. By Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And I also picked up the uh, Mr. Miracle trade. I got uh, the Marvel's Annotated number two. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a cool book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice history yeah. there. So my second pick is Justice League number 23 by Scott Snyder with art by Jorge Jimenez. And the beats keep going on this uh, series. Uh, my, I wrote a review for aptcomics.com. My one complaint was, can we get... <laughs> like, you're killing me with the, with the cliffhangers here. Like, it's not a spoiler to say Superman is trapped in this weird dark zone, this other dimension where there's no light. And he's been there for like three or four issues now. And I, just, I want him to get out already. 
but it's a it's a solid solid book. It's uh, this weird sci fi quasi strange world they're in the Justice League, and there there's this world where like Lois Lane is the uh, the prison head. Uh, what do they, what do you call the prison head? Warden. Warden. The warden of this crazy giant like skyscraper style uh, prison where all the villains are put there forever. If you even think of doing something bad, you're put there uh, before you even do Thought anything. crimes. Exactly. Like minority yeah. report, one of my favorite movies. And uh, the book does a really good job of mixing that with Batman, who is having this theoretical uh, conversation with this God. Who's like, what'll it be Batman? You got to lock away Superman forever or what? And his ultimate goal is to have super he have Superman's like essence or energy go into him and make him even more powerful. Mm. And Batman's all like, I don't know, save the universe. I guess screw my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's all very I don't know. It's very thought provoking. There's some fantastic dialogue I actually call out to in my review that make you think about life and philosophy and whatnot. Yeah, I recommend it. I've recommended that book a couple times on this show. Yes, I have not. I have not read it yet. Uh, yes, you have. <laughs> yeah, you should check it out. I should. Yeah. Especially especially because um, yeah. I'm sure it's going to tie into you're the villain. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a big. A lot of the of what's going on in Justice League has, like, built up to you're the villain. I'd say. Yes, but Dave, I've been loving Doom Patrol, <laughs> and I need to read every single issue of Doom Patrol now. You do. Is that book coming out? Uh, are they doing another one? They are doing another one. Gerard Way is. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, but I need to... The Original. Omnibus, Grant Morrison's Omnibus is available. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And that's like as tall as me. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I have to read that and I have to read Invisibles. I haven't read those. Mm, yeah. Okay. On to the next in comics that I have read. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number one pick is War of the Realms number three, Ooh. written by Jason Aaron with art by Russell Dodderman. If you had told me that I was going to be liking a big multiple line Marvel's event, Marvel event this much this time last year, I would have called you a liar. Hell, two months ago we were talking about how many tie-ins there are. Yeah, I was, and I uh, to to wit, I have not been reading the tie-ins except for the one written by the McElroys. But the main book is so, so strong on its own. And it's so interesting. And the payoff for all of these character arcs that have been happening in other places and with other writers, um, it's great. Mm -hmm. Aaron has done a really, really good job of taking this kind of unwieldy menagerie of characters and pathos and ethos and like all sorts of problems that they have and tying them together. Dodderman does a great job of introducing different character designs that feel appropriate for the war that's happening across the world, like seemingly on a page turn. Mm -hmm. um, Spider-Man has a shield and a helmet on in this issue, that's pretty which cool. I love that he's just like wearing it over his suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, He makes a quick quip about who goes into war with just a shield and then looks over at Cap, who is holding an ax and is like, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, but in particular in this issue, I really loved the stuff about Daredevil. Daredevil, and this has been spoiled by covers for both this series and other series, other tie-ins, so I don't feel too bad about this. Yeah, it was spoiled in a tie-in like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Daredevil has Heimdall's sword and his ability to see across all of the realms. 
and here across all of the realms. So in essence, Daredevil is able to operate the Bifrost from Asgard. But what Eren has done is taken a really good approach at how much that weighs on a person and how much Heimdall, who's not typically thought of, I guess, he's kind of like a gatekeeper. You know, people say hi to him. He trades lines with Thor. He trades lines with Odin or Loki or whoever. And he's Idris Elba in the movies, so you care about him. But in the comics, he's just kind of there. This issue is really about how fucking difficult his job is. Right. Daredevil picks up the sword and he thrusts it into the pillar that operates the Bifrost and immediately he bends over like he has a kidney stone and just starts saying aloud all the things he can hear across all the realms. Mm -hmm. Women and children fleeing and crying. Cap and Spidey in Jotunheim. Giants, trolls, Surtur, Cinder, Malekith. All this stuff and Heimdall's like, yeah, that's how it is. (laughs) And Daredevil's like, um... Okay. Do you think it's enhanced because of his powers too? It could be. It could be that he's also visualizing it mm-hmm. um, or, or hearing it more. I don't know. Heimdall certainly says he's a good mantle for it because of what his powers are. Right. So that makes sense. And also like Aaron's doing a great job with stuff like that of putting characters into positions they've never been in, but also that they make sense in. Right. But it, it just really, I was like, man, I have never thought about Heimdall in that way before. I've never thought about the way that I've been taking Asgard for granted before. It's basically the Asgard equivalent to a taxi. <laughs> yeah, basically. But it's like taking a toll on a man. I never thought about that. And getting that perspective in a big event book like this with big, cool, high-production rainbow art and wars with, like, dark elves and all sorts of crazy She-Hulk punching scorpion tanks and Venom attacking Malekith and, like, all sorts of stuff like that. Like, I never, ever, ever would have expected to see something so, like, bet you never thought of this, huh? Right, yeah. It's good at that. In a book like that. It's really, really good at that. The War Avengers? That's a cool neat neat idea. Um, and so, and so that's kind of why I'm on the hook for this right now. You should totally read, uh, the war scrolls. Number one, mm. the tie in, because that there's an interesting ask. Uh, the first like 10 pages are about daredevil doing this job, but there's an interesting kind of take on his crisis of faith and how oh, he's, interesting. yeah. Cause like, you know, he's a Catholic, but then there are sure. also these <laughs> as guardian gods. <laughs> how do you manage that? Yeah. To wit, I thought it was really good. Yeah. It's solid. It's good. Blockbuster comics too. Yes. Well, my favorite book. Does anyone care anymore? I do. <laughs> I just want attention. The Green Lantern number seven <laughs> by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. This is a book that our very own Ritesh Babu has been reviewing every issue and done a fantastic job at it. And he also loves this series. In fact, I picked it up because of what Ritesh has said in his reviews. Yes. I- issue seven is a work of art. It's a work of art, not just because of the art, but because of how it's written. There are captions on the page, not in boxes, but laid over right over the art, making it feel like you're reading like poetry, like the Iliad or something um, mm-hmm. with art behind it, of course. But it draws you into this story and you don't know what's going on. There's this woman that's being attacked by these weird shark people and then Hal shows up in this cloak. He's like hurt and tired. She doesn't know what's going on. 
story carries forward. He gets more strength. Can I spoil this story? It's such a good ending. There's a huge twist as to where we are. And basically, the entire issue is a love letter to the ring, to the Green Lantern ring, and Hal's ring specifically. Yeah. And I saw Liam Sharp, he posted the the last page um, on his Twitter, and it's, it's Hal kissing the ring. And I think Liam said something like, you know, this is how I feel about this series. But the it's a really deeply meaningful and moving issue and i wouldn't be surprised if it wins an eiser eisner uh for single issue because not only is it self-contained but it it's just a really pretty story and there's a twist to it that makes it quite heartwarming um not only for hal but for what it means to be a green lantern on top of that the art is freaking amazing <laughs> yeah yeah, Liam this is, is the cover that you picked last week. It is, it's yes, awesome. Yeah, there there are some pages where it's so subtle. I don't even know how Liam's doing it. There's like a texturing, almost as if there's like a translucent texture behind thing uh, images. Yeah, I think it's mixed media. Yeah, and it's it's sort yeah. of he does that on the cover a little bit. And we talked about that last week, but there's mm-hmm. a page where it looks like real water, like ref, like light reflecting underwater, and you could tell it's just normal pencils and ink and color over it. But then there's this, it's just like an optical illusion. It's like magic eye or something. <laughs> it, it, it like, it immediately you will, you'll be captured by the art, but then it takes a minute to look at it closely and go, wait, what is he, how is he doing this? So if you, if you're like a long time comic book reader, you should do yourself the honor of picking this book up specifically this one issue in particular, because it feels like it's doing something different with the medium. And you know, it's Grant Morrison, so of course it's pushing the needle in some way. He always seems to be doing that. Yes. Anyway, that's my favorite book of the week. Because of Ritesh's reviews, I did look for this at my LCS yesterday for a free comic book day, the first trade, and I did not find it, probably because it is so popular. Yeah, yeah, it's yep. it's it's bound to win some, some award from somebody. It's going to win an award from me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving out awards at the end of this show. Yeah. All right, that's it for this week in our favorite books of last week. In our next segment, which we've done, I think, four times, three times, it's called Trash It or Treasure It, where one of us randomly picks a character, Mm -hmm. flips a coin, and then the other person has to trash that character or treasure that character. This week, I get to trash or treasure something. Yes. Or someone. Yes. And I have randomly generated a character for you. Okay. Your character is going to be Gambit. Whoa. Do you want Tails to be Trash or Treasure? Who do I get to pick? Oh, uh, Tales to Treasure. Okay. <laughs> flip a coin. Do you want me to flip it? No, I got it. It's heads. Oh, my God. What was that noise? It was Siri. <laughs> so you need to trash Oh boy. Gambit. This is hard. No, not really. But it, it's hard because... Uh... <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> Four days ago on AMPTComics.com, a review came up for a trade paperback called Gambit. Gambit King of Thieves, which is written by James Asmus and has art by Clay Mann. I really liked the book. I liked I liked the take on the character. He's more of a thief than a superhero. But to trash Gambit isn't too hard, I don't think. I mean, let's just look at the movie that was supposed to come out for the last five years that never came out. Why is that? Probably because it's a really hard nut to crack. Uh, a big part of the character is his suave, right? His sexiness. Um... 
it's a it's something that a lot of people like about the character but i don't know he wears out its welcome uh in a lot of different ways not least of which and i actually talk about this in that review it's hard to have a character steal stuff for good reasons over and over and over again before you're like dude this guy's just a jerk this guy's a dirtbag so (laughs) as far as superheroes go like there's only so much you could do with the character. He's quite simple. He can charge up cards. He can charge up things. Gets a little tired if he charges up a big rock and compared to a small card, which is a kind of a cool power. And we've seen the character done before where he basically was a god. That also was a story arc that came out in the 90s. I don't think... I don't even know if it's in canon anymore. But the, look, the guy looks like a silly, silly character. The design, yes, I know a lot of people like it. He's got the trench coat. He's got the metal boots. He's got the staff. And he's got the really nice hair. <laughs> but it's ridiculous. Who wears metal boots? Am I right or am I wrong? You're right. I think he looks like a Magic the Gathering sorcerer. And, I, you know, if you think about it, he, he's this incredible fighter. But why? Like, obviously, he needs to be really good at fighting or he wouldn't be able to mix with the other X-Men, right? Because, really, his power is like Cyclops, like weak watered down cyclops cyclops can shoot mm. rays out of his eyes knock th- knock a hole through a wall gambit has to physically put his hands on something char- and, and it can't be organic by the way and then not that that's a thing it doesn't really matter it's not like he's gonna flick boogers at you oh wait no those are <laughs> inanimate never mind he has to actually find something and then throw it it's so silly and for, for another thing by the way you cannot throw a playing card 500 feet that's ridiculous unless his his like energy is powering it up no you cannot flick a card and have a... Ah, it's a what is he, Bullseye? Oh my god, Bullseye versus Gambit, who wins? Hey, can Gambit put his hands... <laughs> can Gambit put his hands on Wolverine and charge up his animantium and blow it up? I don't know. Guys, there's so many things I don't know in this show. Yeah, I don't know. He is a two-bit thief with... Uh, he's a one-trick pony and... Yeah. He's also the Thieves Guild head, or he was at one point. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows what's going on with that? Yeah. <laughs> he's probably one of the... He's... You're, this is going to be bad. You're going to be mad at me. He's kind of like Venom in that he's a, he's a very visual character that has been severely underwritten for a long time. Sure. And I think what Donny Case is doing with Venom right now is helping the character 10,000-fold. 10, Gambit... Yes. This book I actually just read, uh, reviewed by um, James Asmus, who wrote it, I think that book did a lot to make the character more interesting, but at the same time, he's still very simplistic. Mm. He's a thief who likes rogue. He can fight and throw cards. I mean, there's not much to him. Mm. And there, I'm done. (laughs) I just want to throw on that when (laughs) they were advertising Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History, Mm Mm-hmm. Someone made a Photoshop that was who stole Gambit's vape. Oh, God. And I was like, you know, that tells me everything you need to know about the character. They, like if everyone thinks that this is funny and a realistic thing that could happen to Gambit. Yeah. Gambit sucks. There you go. I trashed Gambit. and I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel dirty now talking about him. I would say that Mr. and Mrs. X has really fixed him for me. Mm-hmm. Kelly Thompson's take on him is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think he sucks. <laughs> um, he's such an asshole. Yeah, he in is. In Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. He's such a dick. Hot take. He's like torturing Sabretooth. If uh, yeah. 
If X-Men the animated series never existed, I think this character may not even be in circulation. Ooh, I think that's true. Because he was so cool and different of compared to the characters. Yeah. And he looked cool compared to the characters. Yeah. Mon ami. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. In our next segment, uh, the, t- the one number one book we're looking forward to coming out next week in just a couple days from now. Yep. And I want to go first. Can I go, go first? Tell me something you like about now. Uh, so I'm looking forward to The Flash number 70 by Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter. This is the beginning of their year one arc. And it's basically like going to give us an origin story of sorts with Flash, with the current Flash. Barry, uh, we're going to get an origin story with Barry. First of all, Howard Porter, amazing artist. Um, he's He's got this really rounded and always it's always very nicely colored by Hi-Fi. But his his style is like is like very unique, a detail, but also kind of cartoony in a sense. I think he's got like big eyes on his characters. Anywho, mm-hmm. I am ex- interested to see how Joshua Williamson frames this origin story, how he became Flash, and it's based on the last issue. We see uh, Barry, and he's like little boy, so it's clearly going to be somehow tied to his, you know, early days as a, as a child. And I've already read it, so I know it's good. So there you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that does it. What's your yeah. most anticipated book? My most anticipated book of next week is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number six, written by Tom Taylor with art by Yildi Ray Sinar. Um, I wasn't super hot on Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man when it started, but I'm big on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book is going to introduce a character named Spider-Bite, who seems to be a child sidekick to Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. The reason that I'm excited is that Tom Taylor writes young characters in an engaging, authentic, and enthusiastic way that very few other writers do. Um, He obviously created Honey Badger, X-23's sister. Love her to death. Mm -hmm. Um, Huge part of the reason I love all-new Wolverine a lot. Um, also like a character that has persisted so well that even like Domino and stuff in other books are like, I'm not going to be the one to kill Honey Badger. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, super popular, super engaging, super earnest, and just like a really good take on the way that young people are. You know, I have younger brothers and a sister and they really do believe in like the high highs of superheroism. And they, like, really wear their ethics and their morals and stuff on their sleeve. And they really believe in the power of, like, helping people and sharing and stuff like that. And Taylor does a great job of being, like, if this person was superpowered, they wouldn't hide it. They would try to help people. And I'm, I'm very excited for that. I, I hope that Spider-Bite is a recurring character. It could be that this is just a, a kind of one-issue debut. Or, uh, you know, a one-shot with Spider-Bite. But the but the way that they're saying that the character is a, debuted in this issue um, makes me think that it's going to be at least an arc. Um, and I'm excited for that. And Yildi Ray's um, choreography is very similar to Juan Cabal's, who has been drawing some of the other issues in this series. There's a lot of, like, really cool... They show the shadow of Spider-Man doing the stunts, doing backflips and frontflips and punches and stuff like that across two-page spreads. 
um, sweeping across the city and all that stuff. I think it's really great. So I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun as well. When Spider Bite um, becomes an adult, will they change their name to Spider Bitten? <laughs> spider Spider Boat. Spider Boat. Yeah. Is boat is a boat a, a way of saying bite? I don't think so. Maybe in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. We talked about uh, Spider Bite actually uh, on the show a couple months ago now. Yeah, we did. Yep. And now it's here. Give us more Spider Man. We want all the iterations. I do. An ideal for me is like, I feel like the X line is at a point where people could just read X-Men books Mm -hmm. every week and be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And the spider line is like getting close to that. Yeah. With Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Gwen, Superior Spider-Man, and Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, and Miles Morales. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But they're kind of on slightly different schedules. Right. If they toss like one other book in there, I could like just read Spider-Man books. Right. Yeah, they had Spider-Man um, 2099 for a little oh, while. Oh, well, I guess they, they have Venom, but yeah. I'm not really counting that. No. Um, if they had like one more Spidey book. Who boy. Who should it this be? This show would be very oh. one-sided. Well, there is Superior, but that's, yeah. I Yeah, I said Superior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this show would be very one-sided, though. Spider-Hulk, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> just throw yeah. it out there. <laughs> yeah. Al Ewing, get on it. All right, our next segment, Judging by the Cover of Junior. This is where we talk about our favorite cover art coming out in the coming week. And this is Junior because we have a weekly column on Mondays called Judging by the Cover, where we have Eric Klein and another staff member pick three of their favorite covers of the week. And Forrest, you, do you know anything about this column? I do. I'm on it this <gasps> um, Wow. And it was... Also, really, really hard yeah. for me to pick this week. I think this is one of the best weeks for comic covers I've ever seen. You know, it's possibly every week it feels like we're getting the best era of comics. I remember yeah. the 90s. It wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think people are starting to look back on that fondly now. Yeah. But that's true. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, there's we're all nostalgic for our 90s comics. But at the same time, I feel like the level of artistry is so much higher the quality mm-hmm. we're getting. I mean, there's a reason why artists can't keep keep up a 12-month schedule. It's because the quality requires so much more time and effort. Yes. Uh, what is your favorite uh, what is your favorite cover? My favorite cover, the one that I picked for the show, and I picked two other really fantastic ones for the column, so definitely go check that out on aiptcomics.com, is Black Hammer Age of Doom number 10 with cover cover art by Dean Ormston. This cover is so unique and so bold and so daring. Basically, what you have is an all-white cover or a ton of white space. And then you have a character silhouette, got a big afro and um, their eyelashes, nose, and lips. And on the inside of that is space, like outer space, black pockmarked white planets and um, moons and stars. And then you have big planets, a rocket ship, and... Uh, a character's face. I think it might be Colonel Weird from mm-hmm. um, Black Hammer. Um, I may be wrong as well. And then um, there's also a red eyeball and a green eyeball floating through space. Creepy. And it just hits this perfect crossroads of like artistically engaging and restrained and balls to the wall weird as fuck. Right? Yeah. And I think that, like, the rocket ship is coming out of the character's brain. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that is ex- it's so perfectly indicative of what Black Hammer is, which is like a very serious, somber, often morose and poetic story about legacy and about family and stuff like that. But then like crazy things happen, like a talking robot or time travel or a man tripping balls so hard he goes through space to fall through space, to fall through himself, to fall through space, to fall through himself, so on and so forth, to the power of 10. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, man, Dean really leaned into that with the cover here. I don't think you get to do an all-white or predominantly white cover like this very often. Mm -hmm. And um, because they – you have to put lettering on the cover. You still have to put the title and the creators and all that stuff – I think that it may cost more to print. You have, it gets dirty. There's less to work with. It's less content, um, all sorts of stuff like that. So when you do it, it really helps if you lean into it hard. Um, And I really think he did in an interesting way by using the negative space to be this kind of big, expansive, open thing. And then to have literal outer space be so constrained inside the character's silhouette. Um, It's really, really cool. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you can find that on uh, our podcast post at aptcomics.com for this podcast post. You can yeah, see it boy. with your own eyes and tell Forrest, go to his Twitter, tell him if he's right or wrong. Blip. 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 <laughs> Only tell me if I'm right. Only tell me if I'm right. If you, if you yeah. think he's wrong, just unfollow him. He's okay Here, with that. Here's, here's how it works. <laughs> if I'm right, my Twitter is F-O-R-R-E-S-T okay. underscore T-X-T. If I'm wrong, my Twitter is at Jack on Twitter. Oh, at Jack. Wow. I didn't know that was one of your pseudonyms. (laughs) My favorite cover is from Marvel's Annotated Number 3. I don't think it's the main cover. It's a variant. And it's by Gabriel Del Otto. And it's painted. And it is gorgeous. It is a close-up of Galactus's face with Silver Surfer looking at him. We see Silver Surfer's back in this picture. And there's like... Oh, just the detailing is amazing. It looks realistic, but also not. It's you can tell it's painted, but it, there's there's elements of it like his lips, Galactus's lips. They're red. They're very humanoid. The electric electricity coming out of his eyes looks very realistic. The lighting looks really cool, but at the same time, like he's this giant figure with this, you know, let's admit it, kind of a uh, ridiculous helmet. And I don't know the cover. It's just very otherworldly. It's very impossible. But at the same time, because there's these humanoid features on Galactus, uh, it's realistic at the same time. So I've always liked Galactus because he's kind of an awkwardly designed character. Not that he's badly designed, because obviously Kirby's amazing. But he's he's somehow unreal. It's like if you were to ever see this character, you wouldn't believe it. You'd think it was uh, you know a figment of your imagination. Uh, it's just so advanced and so out there that it could be real, maybe, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And this cover really helps imbue that. And I really like the Marvel's annotated book so far, and I'm pretty psyched that they're releasing these. I can't wait for the hardcover because covers like this are coming quite quite quickly. Like Alex Ross is doing a lot of variants for each issue, and uh, it, they're all just so gorgeous. And it makes sense for such a gorgeously painted book as well. Yeah, I can't believe Alex Ross has the time to do that stuff. Or Del Otto, honestly. Yeah. Wow. I I can't can't even comprehend how long it took to to make this cover. It's so 
it's so detailed and rich. Yes. All right, guys. Those are our favorite covers. In our next segment, we're going to be doing character trivia. This is yes. where we talk about an obscure character, and we do it in a fun way where one of us has to guess it, and the other one gives us details. And typically, we pick a character that is in comics right now that may haven't been around for a while. Yes. So they could have popped up and you had no idea who they were when they did, but now you will know everything about them. <laughs> <laughs> or um, in this instance, I picked 10 facts about the character. They get progressively easier for Dave to guess. Okay. Um, so the first one My cell phone's is... ready. I'm Googling. <laughs> Fuck that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, the character's first appearance was in the Avengers number 47 which came out in 1968. Avengers number 47. Yes. However, the character actually debuted in Marvel Comics back in like 1955. 55. Is it a yes. Can I ask questions? Yeah. Is it a villain or a hero? Both. Damn it. <laughs> Scarlet Witch. I don't know. Keep going. No. Okay. You you can have one guess after each thing. How okay. About that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. They are a playable character mm. in the 1995 arcade game Avengers in Galactic Storm. God, I don't even know that what that game is. It is a super janky looking Japanese arcade game. Oh. But for some reason, this character was upgraded to like main roster, Avengers. which I thought was very interesting. And they're in Avengers. Yes. <sighs> Man, and they were a villain and a hero. Vision? No. Of course it's not Vision. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's obscure. The current, the current character yeah. is a descendant of the original character and the nephew of the supervillain iteration. <sighs> Kang? No. No. Apocalypse? No. That makes One no sense. One per clue. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, this character has been a member of MI-13, the Avengers, the Defenders, Ultra Force, Excalibur, Heroes for Hire, the Ma- and the Masters of Evil. Jesus. They were a leader of both the Avengers and Ultra Force. Ultra Force? Yeah. Well, I don't remember Ultra Force. When was that? A long time ago. Hmm. This guy gets around, or girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's in the first debut was in Avengers. See, that's what's throwing me off because I keep thinking of mutants. Mm. But mm-hmm. that can't be. Um, nope. Hmm. This is an old character. Uh, it's not Magneto. It's not. <laughs> keep going. Nope. This character was the star of the first. All new, all different series to be canceled when Marvel started the all different series back in like 2015. Only five issues came out. You said, what, were the, what was the British team you said earlier? We've, we've got MI-13, yeah. Avengers, Defenders, Ultra Force, Excalibur. Excalibur. Yeah. Black Knight? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I picked Black Knight because he is in War of the Realms this week. Oh. oh. He shows up for literally oh, yeah. one panel. His sword. To give Malekith the ebony blade. Yes. Yes. So the other clues I have are, <laughs> this is hilarious to me. He is described as a regular man with no superpowers. 
literally it says that on the Marvel wiki. Wow, way to sell him, Marvel. I know. Um, and then it's like, but he is a very good swordsman. I mean, that's uh, like every that's like Hawkeye. That's every character, right? Um, he has also employed an atomic steed. I like this one just because it's like the most comic book shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. He has also employed an atomic steed, typically used by the High Evolutionaries Knights of Wungador Whoa. in place of his winged horse. Wow. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, so a robotic his... horse? <laughs> yes. Atomic horse. Huh. You know, if you read uh, the Boba Fett comic coming out next week, there's a mm. shot of Boba yeah. Fett riding on... Yeah. <laughs> you, you sent me a picture of that. It's fucking dope. It is. His real name currently is Dane Whitman. Wait, are these the easier uh, factoids? They get easier, yeah. Because these are not easier to me. I would not know his real <laughs> well, name. <laughs> um, here, the last two are really easy. Okay. He spent the majority of the time in his last appearance in Black Panther with a fake sword. Jeez. Was it foam? It was foe. <laughs> F-A-U-X. Uh-huh. And then he's most commonly affiliated with the Ebony Blade. Okay. Yeah. I, frankly, I'm surprised I got it at all. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know this character very well. Excalibur. I did not either. <clears throat> um, I, I really thought it was funny that they were just like, we got to get Malekith the Ebony Blade. Right. Um, I don't know. Put Black Knight in there for one panel. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, because he hasn't been around much. Yeah, and they don't really explain why he's a villain now either right because he's a hero currently he's been a villain in the past well different people have had the black knight title Mm -hmm. but he just fucking shows up and gives malachite the blade no problem he's the kind of character where i feel like the creators were like hey wouldn't it be cool if there was a knight just like hanging out with captain america (laughs) right uh i was really thrown by him having been a leader of the avengers yeah i mean there was some kooky stuff in like the 80s though Yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so much so that he was, you know, a main arcade game selection. Right, way back in the people, day, too. People were hot for him at some point. You know, it it probably goes back to like, oh, well, it's probably easier to have like a generic knight characters that people can gravitate to. Sure, yeah. And also easier to write a knight for an arcade game than something else. Right. Well, thank yeah. you for uh, enlightening us about this character. Of course. <laughs> In our last segment today is our it, it is the off-topic top shelf segment where one of us talks about something that we really like right now that's not comic related that we want to tell you about. And for me, it's my turn. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm pint- I- I'm picking uh, Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. Which is not new unless you watch it on Netflix, which is now turned into a four-hour miniseries. And I power-watched this recently. I highly recommend checking it out. Obviously, if you don't like Quentin Tarantino, don't check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen Hateful Eight before, so I can say with certainty that it's enjoyable re-watching it in this format. And it's kind of interesting. It makes me think Quentin Tarantino probably, if he was... 20 years younger he'd probably be writing shows for netflix rather than making movies because hateful eight in particular feels very much like it could be a stage play and that is Mm. kind of what these bingeable shows are in a sense they're typically character driven stories about characters talking about stuff um 
And it's a lot easier to film something like that in an episodic format, I think, because you can sort of impart the characters over time rather than try to fit it all in in a two or three hour movie. I can't tell how much is new in this, though. I think there are a couple scenes. If I rewatched the movie, I'd figure it out. But there's a couple scenes that I don't remember. And there's a couple scenes that feel a little longer. But it's it's quite cool to see how he split it up. It's basically, it, it plays out the same way as the movie in the same... Um, you know, scene by scene kind of thing. But I think scenes are stretched out. There's more time. It's obviously a really well shot sh- uh, movie now show and well acted, really, really well acted. And I think it's better in this format. I highly recommend you check it out. Yeah, I'll probably take a look. I liked it well enough. I think that having an opportunity to compare it to the original will probably make me like it more because I'll have to actively think about everything that went into it. Right, and you know it kind of changes the storytelling. So if you're interested at all in storytelling, it's going to be kind of cool to check them both out. Yeah, exactly. Do you think this came out because he's got a relationship with Netflix now? Probably. What's this new and movie? They pro- and they probably were like, also, Bow to Buster Scruggs was really successful for the Coen brothers. Right. And if this existed, they were probably like, oh, we can just emulate that success. I wonder yeah. if they're like part producers on the new on the new Tarantino movie, uh, the Hollywood one. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. Potentially. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a four-hour miniseries for that, too. Yeah. You know what you won't get in four hours? This podcast, because we keep it under an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We try to keep it about an hour, and I'm glad if you're still listening that you're still listening, because that shows we're doing our job right. Yes. To show us even more that we're doing our job right, you could like this on Apple or iTunes. You can give us a review and you can tell your friends and subscribe. Yes, please do. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just saying you should. Yeah, and we <laughs> love doing this for y'all. It's been fun. It's been real. Yeah. All right, thanks, guys. See ya.